them what's going on through the IoT product or the IoT connectivity, in fact. And so we've built a backend dashboard. We can in real time help our customers troubleshoot and diagnose something. We, we have smart alerts in the unit that will help us understand what's going on with the litter box. And as we continue to evolve our platform, now that we've added our automatic feeder to the platform as well, you can now programmatically feed your pet. So I'm fortunate that I haven't had to feed my dog now in about six months. All I got to do is about every 10 days, I add more food to the hopper and the scheduler does everything else. There are many aspects of the horse world that technology can assist. Um, And I've kind of bucketed in three areas. Um, It's really through health and safety, the general management and maintenance of horses. And then thirdly is stabling and transportation. So all these new little horsey friends are basically saying, well, I want to use it. I want to use it. And I got bugged enough that I said, okay. So I just rewrote it, took six months, rewrote it. And I released it in June of 2018. So I thought, well, maybe 500 of my new little friends will find it and their friends will find it. Six months later, 3,500 people found it. And so I kept rewriting it, rewriting it. All of a sudden there's 10,000 people using it. I kept rewriting it and adding new features to really adding new features to it. I'm full circle to today. There's almost 22,000 people using the app. There's 24,000 horses in the app. Welcome back to Cloud Talk and our continuation of our Tech Behind the Industry series, where this week, I'm sure you figured out, it's all about pets. You see, there really isn't any area of our lives that technology hasn't played an incredibly important role in shaping. We've seen this in our own series, in the episodes about agriculture, as well as the music industry. As I mentioned, this week, it's all about pets, and we'll look at ways that cloud-based technology and IoT have impacted them and spurred on some really interesting entrepreneurial spirit. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. Jacob Subkey. Well, we'll start our exploration of the pet industry today with a conversation with Jacob Zubke. Now, Jacob leads the technology teams over at a company called AutoPets, whose claim to fame is an automatic kitty litter cleaning device. (laughs) Well, this company was originally formed out of the need the founder discovered when he inherited a cat and learned firsthand the dirty side of having a pet. Well, being an engineer, he created a solution, and a business was born. Now, their first products were sold back in the early 2000s, but as you can imagine, it's evolved quite a bit over the years, even to being a connected device. And I asked Jacob this first question, why does a kitty litter cleaner need to be a connected device? And he told me this story. In 2018, I had been traveling and my wife was at home. We have one dog and one cat. And um, Lexi, our cat, a little brown Siberian cat, uh, was getting in and out of the litter robot uh, as we actually had the prototype connected version and first version of the app at home. And um, all of a sudden, I had received about 
20 notifications on my phone, as did my wife. We both had the app on our phones. And um, she rushed over to the litter box to see what was going on and saw that Lexi was getting in and out, in and out, in and out of the litter box. And with a traditional litter pan that's you know, most often stored in the basement, in a closet, or somewhere out of sight. It's also out of mind. And that's the biggest value of Litter Robot Connect is that it can be out of sight, but it's no longer out of mind. In our case, we were able to rush Lexi to the vet. We figured out that she had a UTI, and we were able to diagnose that within about a one-hour period from the time of its starting, whereas most people and many people with a cat who has a UTI, I mean, it's it's a very serious thing for cats, and it's, it's you know, fairly common. And, you know, the ability to early diagnose something like that is just, it, it's, it's so valuable to to an IoT product. And I think that's really where we stand behind our IoT product is that we can add additional value to what has been already an, a really great problem solver for pet parents. We can add additional value with our connected solution. And so it's not just about automatically sifting the litter box anymore. Now it's becoming a, a real pet health platform, one that can you know help the pet parent understand the usage, which is so hard to do with a traditional litter box. Uh, and, and actually impossible to do with a traditional litter box unless you're the type of a cat person that's just watching everything that happens with that cat. Now, there, those people do exist. Um, having, you know, when I was in high school growing up, uh, you know, I worked in, in vet clinics and you're spot on when you say this can be a really serious uh, issue with cats because because of the fact that it's not really figured out until the cat is immobile in pain. And uh, And so really interesting how you were able to then discover that as probably not one of the use cases you had thought of uh, going in, but so how has that then informed software development going forward as far as is, is this now part of the intelligence in the application? Well, I would say, you know, like many founder stories, while I'm not the founder, it was very relatable to me because I was the one who had led uh, the, the product development process early on for the mobile app. And it really hit home when it happened in our home. And it kicked us into high gear on investing in software and the connectivity platform. And that was all right before we partnered with Rackspace. A big eye opener there was that we needed to learn a little bit more about what's going on in the product. It allowed it, it allowed and informed us to help our customers better when they're at home and they're having a problem with the litter box for whatever reason. Maybe they didn't put enough litter in it. Maybe their cats are all fighting over it and they're getting a lot of notifications <laughs> in a row. You know, we can inform them what's going on through the IoT product or the IoT connectivity, in fact. And so we've built a backend dashboard. We can in real time help our customers troubleshoot and diagnose something. We we have smart alerts in the unit that will help us understand what's going on with the litter box. And as we continue to evolve our platform, now that we've added our automatic feeder to the platform as well, you can now programmatically feed your pet. So I'm fortunate that I haven't had to feed my dog now in about six months. All I got to do is about every 10 days, I add more food to the hopper and the scheduler does everything else. I'm going to need to look into that when I've got two two animals that need feeding every single day. Um, but that's how I get them to talk to me anyway. Um, so it's it. I always find it interesting when you look at, uh, and this you, you see, I think, consistently across technology. There is usually some catalyst that gets somebody or some organization utilizing technology in a new way. In your case, I would say you've gone from this mechanical plastic shell that added some smarts 
And those smarts then really started to inform product development and product opportunities that would be a benefit to the to to your end customer, ultimately to the end customer in ways you probably would have never envisioned back when in, you know, uh, the uh, kitted box uh, 1.0 when it came out in 2000. And it's interesting also then how that has informed the feeder, which, you know, is kind of the opposite of the first product. Um, instead of taking care of what comes out, we're taking care of putting stuff in. So, so tell me about that whole process and, and maybe how um, uh, the Kitty Litter product has informed uh, the, the, the pet feeder product. Yeah, so rewinding a few years, the feeder robot development uh, really got super busy in 2018 after we saw, you know, kind of early feedback of how many people were adopting to the connected litter box. Um, you know, out of our customer, uh, our entire customer base, we had a lot more people gravitating towards the connected version than the non. And as we started to think about the feeder solution, what we realized is at first we had some other pretty novel ideas that we could do with food, which hopefully in the near future will also, you know, be part of our product lineup. But we realized that the best thing that we could do is give people an automatic feeder that allowed them to step away from the feeder for a period of time. In my case, with one mm-hmm. 65-pound dog, I can go approximately 10 days without having to add food. Huh. But, you know... The, the thing that was really helpful is just my ability to measure and see what was going on with my dog and how much, you know, food she was eating. Yeah. It was super helpful. And I had tried an automatic feeder before. And, you know, what, what unfortunately happened is that they were so reliant on IOT that mm-hmm. it stopped feeding my dog for a period of about a day and a half. And I didn't know it. And one of the things that we've built in is redundancies into our automatic feeder. So, you know, we take pride in the fact that while we do build IoT products, we build great hardware first. Mm. And, you know, the old adage about, you know, hardware is hard. It is hard. And we still focus on building phenomenal hardware. And the software has added value to that. But inherently out of the box, all of our products will work with and without the connected app. And so you can program the entire feeder and the litter robot, both from the control panel on the unit. And we just recently had a discussion with a journalist about this because they, they did not mention this in their, their write-up is that, you know, it might be reliant on firmware. And in our case, it works out of the box. You don't need software updates. You don't need anything like that. The IoT adds additional value. It, it, it provides you a window into what's going on with your pet at home, but the product does not have to rely on it. And we really, as a company, will continue to build our products that way because while IoT is great, I sometimes want to go turn the lights on by my, you know, with my hand. I sometimes want to go turn off the alarm by pressing the button. And, you know, the the mobile app interface is great when it adds additional value, but us as human beings also want to resort to what we've been doing for a long time as well. Yeah. So the IoT is about intent. Uh, additional intelligence, whereas the, the 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 unit just functions based on the design of the of the unit itself, which is huge. Because that's the biggest thing that frustrates in all things IoT around my house, which is more than I probably should have. Uh, frustrates my wife. You know, when can I hit a switch? When do I have to use an app? When do I have to use a special IoT button to make things work? Um, to be able to just go and function, use something natively, and not break it. Has great value. And, my, and in my case, my wife works with somebody and her name sounds like Alexa. So <laughs> my wife has had to unplug every smart home device in our home. And I am no longer allowed to have an Alexa running while she's working because every couple of minutes she's getting a reminder about this. And while I could change the name of it, 
Mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it, it's just the fact that smart home is it can be great. It can be so enabling for all of our lives, but at the same right. time, it's nice to have products just work as a you know as they can out of the box. Well, that's the balance of technology. You know, how does it augment? Um, now, of course, we get comfortable and used to that that augmented capability, but we've got to be able to go back to just the the raw function of the of the device itself. So, so how is this informing the future uh, of the company? You know, how does that make you think? You know, before you were very much, you were a hardware company. You built a shell. You built some mechanics into that. You built some sensors. Um, you're a software company now. You, you've leaned on some extra, you know, providers like Rackspace to help, you know, in some of those areas. But how does being a, how's the company pivoted in becoming a software company? Yeah. So as we continue to build our engineering team, we're looking at both. Um, I think, you know, like a lot of companies, you know, you got to know what you're good at. And in our case, we're really great hardware designers. And that's something that we don't want to lose sight in. So as we continue to build out new products in the future, we really want to continue building that inherent redundancy that the product works out of the box. But as we look to software, we really want to allow that to help drive a lot of our innovation. Some of the additional features that may not, may be, you know, what not everybody is buying it for. At the end of the day, we sell an automatic litter box that automatically scoops the litter box. And out of the box, that works really well. At the same time, if that automatic litter box can help to inform smarter pet decisions, that's great. And then when you pair that data with something like an automatic feeder, and you can start to tie those two data points together, how much your pet is eating, how much they're going to the bathroom, it creates smarter decisions for pet parents. And that's something that as we continue to build our future, we're hyper-focused on is adding more value to pet parents' lives that help them understand their pet better. And later on, allowing veterinarians to understand that data better and allowing the industry at large to understand that data better. Because if we know how many two-year-old Bengal cats are going to the bathroom this frequently, that way between this much and this much, we can help other pet parents learn from the larger group of customers that we have. And the, the data platform starts to become really an insightful pet platform that all consumers around the globe can learn from. So that's a really good point because when we think about the parallel of technologies that would that humans might consume, we don't necessarily have the ability to get that kind of intel because of privacy laws, and we don't want to. Sh- you know, people more some people are more private about it. But when we're talking about the bathroom habits of specific cats that weigh a specific amount. I'm thinking we're okay to share that data at at large scale uh, globally. Yeah. And in our case, you know, one thing that we always want to do, of course, is you know protect our pet parents, and so you know. On the back end of things, literally in our business, um, <laughs> you know, we we are very uh, mindful of that, and so you know, at this point in our in our journey, you know, really it's about just learning more about our pet parents, and then figuring out at a later time what, how we can help them better. And I think that that'll be a big part of our continued journey as a business, continued journey as an engineering team. It's just understanding how we can add value to whom can we add value, and what way do we go about it? Because as pet parents, we all want to know more about our pets. And, and, and I believe we're in a really great position to help, you know, help them understand more. What else is happening in the pet lifestyle space that you guys, that you, you can talk about or that's coming down the road? Yeah, a uh, great question. So uh, litterbox.com is another business unit of ours. And what we've done is really transformed how people should shop for cat products. Um, mm. 
you know, historically, there's a lot of dog companies out there. There's a few cat companies out there as well, but nobody's really ever made a destination for cat parents to shop where you are shopping for yourselves just as much as for your pet. And in our case, we believe that we've reinvigorated cat furniture altogether. We've come out with about eight lines of cat furniture now, uh, from your cat tree to cat shelves that live on the wall that's designed around your decor. We are not looking to design your grandma's cat tree, for example. We really want to design something that allows you to shop around the look and feel that you're building in your home that also works well for your cat. So going as far as having custom dyed sisal that matches other color palettes in your home, not the traditional cat scratching beige that we're all used to seeing in movies. You know, it's it's little things like that that we've done in building modular furniture, coming out with things that, in my opinion, look really great and evidenced by our happy customer group, I would say they also feel the same way. And going as far as cat toys, cat furniture, cat swag, um, you know, other things for cat parents as well. Um, A big focus for us as we continue to grow is continuing to innovate within both the cat and the dog space. And that'll be a big part of our chapter as we look to 2021. And, you know, we'll be rebranding the parent company with something that's a little more uniform as a entire pet business, not just specific to cat, because we believe we can take our innovation that we brought to the cat space and apply it to all pets. Well, you just heard in that last section that Rackspace helped with several aspects of the AutoPats Connected product. Now, the gentleman that leads the practice here that does that work is Amir Kashani. Now, Amir is the Vice President of Cloud Native Development and IoT Services, and I thought that a chat with Amir was in order to better understand some of the tech and the processes that go into engineering a service like what you just heard from AutoPets. Now, Amir would tell you that his focus is on helping customers with two aspects of their cloud journey. This is how he defines those. The first one is building and modernizing applications that are running in the cloud. So helping them get the best of the cloud cloud native services like serverless and um, you know managed databases and things of that nature. There's obviously unique challenges in incorporating those into your applications. There's new skills required, new workflows for developers, and we're helping customers with that journey. Um, the other aspect of it that might seem unrelated but is pretty related is IoT. So um, helping customers build end-to-end solutions from hardware to the platforms to the applications that are driving IoT solutions out there. Um, there's a big cloud-native aspect to IoT, and you know, feel pretty strongly that the advances by the hyperscalers have really um, allowed IoT to become what it is, which is why we sort of tie them together as one solution. You were actually part of a project that uh, with with our our good customer AutoPets. You know, what do you remember from all of that? What was your engagement there? And when they came to us, they were um, uh, their, their cloud, they were in AWS, so they were leveraging the cloud. Sounds like all the right decisions, but as you as you called on, you know, the solution was built on instances and VMs, right? So it didn't have that horizontal scalability that you needed. And beyond that, it also didn't even leverage some of the cloud-native IoT services that, that AWS has. So they had their own protocols for communicating with these devices, and they had to figure out how to scale that. There's load balancers and UDP and all sorts of networking challenges to work out. Um, the database that was selected was you know a more legacy database that didn't have the the density and scale scalability as well. So our challenge was how do we effectively 
um, you know, change the tire, change of, of this as a vehicle that, you know, this, these products that have been launched while going down the freeway. Cause we didn't want to just, we don't want to hurt the devices that are out in the world. They just pulled a whole bunch of these and we want to make sure they, they operated. So our solution was twofold. One was, you know, we couldn't change the, the protocols and we couldn't change the, um, the technology that was selected, but we could harden it. Right. So we added some of the best practices that we have in our DevOps business on automation and self-healing and monitoring. And, and so that, you know, at least this infrastructure that wasn't cloud native and wasn't um, fully managed would scale appropriately up and down based on the demand. Then we created a parallel um, environment on top of next to that in, in AWS. Now this parallel environment was cloud native everything. So it was AWS IoT Core and Kinesis and Lambda for stream processing and compute. And you know, give you the best the best of the cloud in terms of um, full, you know, uh, ma- minimizing cost, uh, maximizing your um, your efficiency and your scalability and all that good stuff. And we ran these in parallel and helped them with a second generation of the of the little robot that would talk to this new native platform. So they're able to effectively just switch out one component in their in their hardware device and have it have all new devices talk to this new platform while the old one still serviced you know the, the devices that went out for Gen One. It didn't really change fundamentally the user experience. You know you didn't know whether you had a Gen One or a Gen Two per se, except that you know you're talking to this this better platform and um, it gave them the the scalability and the platform to kind of build on top of. That's really interesting when you think that a company would deploy something like IoT in, in, in not a cloud native, cloud native fashion. And yet you bring up an interesting point and it goes back to something you said kind of in your introduction. And that was that by the nature of IoT, it really means cloud native because you need that, they're chatty. They need, they, you need that transactional aspect and that sort of infinite scaling to be able to deal with not just one device being chatty, but a million devices, ideally for a company that's selling them to be chatty. Yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, this, this is a scenario where we've seen this with other customers. They, you know, they had a really great core competency and really great passion and um, vision and execution on this device, right? It's a really fantastic device for, for, for pet owners. Um, and they relied on a local partner to, to help them build out this capability. And it's, you know, it's a partner who has skills in mobile application development and other areas, but that didn't necessarily translate to the cloud. And this is where, you know, you know, I think some customers get tripped up is that, that the same patterns, the same um, development cycles, the same tools that you know, we've been using in um, days gone past for software development don't necessarily immediately translate to how you do things in the cloud and certainly not the best way of doing it, right? So it's a matter of knowing what the platform has to offer and knowing how to take advantage of that without you know, wasting a lot of cycles. So it's it's not that they didn't um, think to go cloud native, they didn't even know, right? They relied on a partner who unfortunately wasn't equipped um, to, to have that conversation and lead them in that direction. Let's let's go back kind of to your infancy then of, of thinking back to that company or any company that's thinking about making this this kind of move. And they're thinking about, hey, I've, I've talked to some sales reps from any of these hyperscalers. How do they start to to think about their world? What's what's your advice to them on on what it what the first steps of becoming cloud native would be? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, maybe I'm biased in being a partner, but I think one of the key things is don't try to go at it alone, especially if, you know, you're, you're new here, right? The um, I get that people don't want to be dependent on partners, but there's a lot of value that, that we bring in having done this so many times for so many different customers and seeing so many different variables that, you know, a partner um, like, like Rackspace Technology can really guide them through that. 
Um, but the key there is, I guess, you know, some of the principles is to not be afraid of the innovation, not not be afraid of maybe being a little bit um, tech forward because you're entering that world, right? So we've, we've had customers in the past that, you know, they're not quite ready to talk serverless, even though they're building a brand new product in, in 2020. And I think those those sorts of decisions, that hesitancy to to embrace what might seem like, you know, niche, niche to you um, can, can bite you, you know, a few years down the line. So um, we, we, you know, when we talk to customers about serverless, for example, and, and what, what you can do in the cloud, we try to always make it a point to, to show them what other customers are doing. Um, not even not necessarily our customers, but, you know, other customers in the ecosystem to show that this is not a, um, a new and up and coming technology. This is established, used by small and large companies um, alike. So don't be afraid to, to embrace it. Well, and I think you're also really calling out an interesting point in that, you know, you say, don't be afraid to be tech forward. Don't be afraid to kind of go in and test the waters. Don't be afraid to use a partner. And I think part of the fear of, of companies as they think about not wanting to use a partner is they're, they're, they're applying their past experience of making infrastructure decisions. And those infrastructure decisions are generally multi-year decisions. You know, you think about going and buying some servers, you're going to, you're going to sweat those suckers for five, seven or longer years to get the most out of them. But in a cloud world, you're making decisions as you need to, and you get to change those decisions because the capabilities exist there. And there's no penalty to go from one thing that you're paying a month to another thing that you're paying a month. So don't, don't you know, um, artificially apply that mindset of, hey, I'm going to use a partner to help me figure this out. It doesn't mean you're outsourcing your IT department for the rest of your organization's life. It means you're going to solve a problem and then you can reassess. That's exactly right. And, and that's, that's, that's a really good way to frame it. And one we like to do a lot when we talk about cloud native, it's about the agility given to you by cloud native technologies, not the technology themselves, right? And if you're not embracing the agility, then you're, you're losing the benefits of the cloud, whether you, you're using the latest and greatest or not. Yeah. And that agility has to, again, not just be the infrastructure, but the agility of how the business runs. And in fact, in having conversations with you and the team, you know, that's one of the big challenges that you have in, in taking companies through this process is it's not just, let me teach you some new tech. We're going to now use a command line and not touch a server. It's, let's talk about how we even organize as a team and how, um, how not just us as a team, but us as an organization, how do we move faster? Let's, let's not submit a ticket to legal or security. Let's get them on the team and have them be a part of the process. That's right. Yeah. People process. And then finally the technology, that's, that's probably the order of, of complexity there. Um, the, the people, you have to change the people, you have to change them in the, the mindset, um, you have to change the processes to be as agile as the platform. Because if you spend six months in a committee to decide to use a service, guess what? That service has probably evolved since then. So now do you go back to the drawing board? It's definitely one of the challenges and definitely the one of the areas that we're, we're helping customers and um, kind of overcome. Well, and it goes back to the conversation I had with the the folks over at AutoPets, and that was, you know, they uh, he, they really want to bring more of the technology and capabilities uh, in house because they really look to to Rackspace to do a lot of this stuff. But they realize the great value in maintaining that relationship because we are we are we're forced to be and we're delighted to be so tech forward and understand what's out there so that we can keep helping them as they um, modernize their their existing application and use case. But you know, they've they've got more stuff that's coming to market. They do. Yeah, they're they're very forward thinking themselves on, on how to improve pets and pet owners lives. And um, we're, we're really pleased that we helped them relaunch the litter robot product um, a few years ago. We helped them just recently launch their feeder product, 
Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're not resting on their laurels either. They have a lot of great ideas. And I think by, by embracing the cloud and finally having a platform where they can build on, they're not stifled, right? They can go as fast as they want to go and not worry about the, the platform slowing them down, the services slowing them down. Well, let's change gears a little from smaller animals, well, to much larger ones, horses specifically. I'd like to first introduce you to Juliana Chapman. Now, Juliana has had a lifelong passion for horses, starting back when she was just 10 years old. Well, now she's mixed her professional career in technology with her personal passions for horses by writing a blog called The Tech Equestrian, which can be found at www.thetechequestrian.com. One of the things, you know, as I was going back into riding horses when I got a little bit older, is that I noticed that technology was starting to become more integrated with the horse world. So I did have the idea of creating a blog um, about five years ago, but I knew it was a little too early. So I actually waited a couple of years and then I kind of put together my my wish list of who to interview. And actually um, Patrick Husting, who's from the uh, Equestrian app, who you'll meet and talk with, um, I interviewed him back in September, 2018. And boy, has a lot changed since then. Well, and something, you know, <laughs> um, as we were talking yeah. ahead of time, sort of in prep for this, you had mentioned that this is mm-hmm. one of those industries that is has been a bit of a laggard in, in adopting technology. Yes. And, you know, the trainers, the parents yes. weren't necessarily technologists, um, mm-hmm. you know, as one of the reasons, I guess. And so so you're in a really interesting position with a technology, an equestrian, a horse, uh, you know, technical blog to really talk about mm-hmm. some really interesting disruption. Yeah. And that was really my goal was to create the Tech Equestrian, which is an online blog um, that helps educate and inform equestrians of all ages um, of what's out there and what's available. Because I feel that technology can bring so much to to the industry, to the sport. um, And it's really exciting to see. And there's so many examples of apps and software and wearables um, that are available. Okay, today. well, you've baited the hook. Let's hear about some of, of the yeah. tech that's that's disrupting this industry. So, first and foremost, there's um, there are many aspects of the horse world that technology can assist, um, and I've kind of bucketed in three areas. Um, it's really through health and safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, horses are out on their own, either in the stall or in a field, for long periods of time. So there are actually smart halters. Um, there's a company called Nightwatch that um, has put a sensor on the actual halter, mm. and it actually can record the horses, um, you know, their their heartbeat, their rhythms. Their you know, it's a learned, obviously, an AI yeah. type uh, chip, so it learns its behavior over time. So that's just an example on the health and safety side. So, so what are, what's other, some other tech that's really interesting? Um, you know, we you talked about some of it, even the band that goes around the horse's, you know, uh, middle there to, yeah. I, I foolishly preferred to it as an, as a horse I watch, but it seemed to capture a lot of the same information. Yeah. There's a company called Pia, Pia Vita, um, and they're, um, kind of new on the scene in about a year or so. Um, they're based in Switzerland, but they do have a, a wearable that, um, they actually sell to veterinarians. So a vet will go in um, to the horse's stall, put the device around them. Mm. They wear it, obviously, and um, the vet goes away, but then can monitor all the different, um, you know, 
aspects and the vitals of that horse. Um, So it gives them much more of a full picture on what's happening um, than ever before. Okay. So as opposed to the bridle, that's going to capture some of the information. This other one's more of medicinal in the, not medicinal, but, but something for a healthcare provider to really track what's going on with the animal. And it's a little more tied into the vet community um, than the other products. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, So how are these, how well are these being adopted? Uh, You know, is it pretty wide scale adoption or people being sort of tentative? Is it the kids who are just getting into the sport that really want to, you know, adopt it? How's that process going? Well, it's interesting you should ask because I feel because of the pandemic uh, last year that a lot more adoption, it really spurred adoption because a lot of people couldn't get to the stable. They weren't allowed to ride or they could, you know, they didn't have the access they had before. Um, They also were home a lot. So they wanted to, you know, learn more and whether that was, you know, Facebook live or, you know, other ways to utilize technology to learn and keep them, keep them up to speed on things. Now, Juliana, she was kind enough to introduce me to one of the creators of one of those tech products that she had featured on her blog. So now I'd like to introduce you to Patrick Housting. Now, Patrick comes from a tech background and is quite the entrepreneur, having built and sold a few businesses over the years. Well, after he sold his last business, he found himself with some forced downtime due to a tricky non-compete clause. Well, and he decided to fill that time by bringing, well, horses into his family's lives. And I'll let Patrick pick up the story from there. So I got these horses and I, and I bring these horses home. And now I have all these new little horse friends, you know, the farrier, the trainer, the vet. Uh-huh. I even got a person that comes and gives the horse a massage. It's just crazy. <laughs> anyway, so, um, you know, the farrier's here. He spends two hours here and he leaves me a bill for $400 and leaves. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. what did you do for 400 bucks for two hours? <laughs> and then it's the same with the person, you know, that's looking for the sore points on the horse or even when the vet comes or just yeah. leaving me these large bills and my, um, folder for each one of the horses is just growing thick and it's annoying me because that folder's in the house. It's not in the barn where I'm at or I could be at a show too. And I need a health certificate or something like that. Yeah. So I went shopping for an app and I actually found a couple apps at that time, but it literally looked like they're written in 1998. And I think you remember what apps look like in 1998. They were terrible. Uh, I think I, I, th- I think the web apps that I looked at in 98, I, I viewed through Netscape uh, <laughs> browser. So I know exactly yeah, what that means. That'd basically be it. You have Netscape and IE at the time. So, um, and yeah. then, so looking at, you know, from the interface and then trying to figure out what they had in the background, I just didn't want to do that. I wasn't going to put yeah. years of data into that. And so you know, I've been in the industry 25 years. I built a lot of stuff. So I thought, hey, this will be kind of fun. I'll go back and be a developer again. I'll teach myself a lot of the new technologies, you know, that I was paying other people to write code for me at that time. And I'll just do it myself. And so I I did it myself for just myself. It was an app for myself. And I would go to these shows, you know, and you know, I'm recording what my son's doing at a show. And my new little horsey friends are saying, 
oh, isn't that cute? You're posting something on Facebook about your son. And I'm going, no. I go, I'm recording that. He's out there. There's 20, there's 20 contestants. He got second place, you know, because maybe his heels weren't down enough while he was riding. And they're like going, you're doing what? And they're going, can we use it? <laughs> and I would go, nope, I wrote it for myself. I didn't write this publicly available. So all these new little horsey friends are basically saying, well, I want to use it. I want to use it. And I got bugged enough that I said, okay. So I just rewrote it, took six months, rewrote it. And I released it in June of 2018. And that's when I kind of met Juliana. And when, um, so I thought, well, maybe 500 of my new little friends will find it and their friends will find it in my community here in Washington state. Six months later, 3,500 people found it. And people are emailing me. Can you do this? Can you do that? What about this? Well, this is dumb. Can you do, can you rewrite this? (laughs) And so I did. And it was just for fun, you know, because I had this, you know, non-compete. And so I had the time and, and so I kept rewriting it, rewriting. All of a sudden there's 10,000 people using it. And, you know, these are people with horses, right? You know, I hate to say it. They're not the most advanced technologist people. You know, they're not the top list of Rackspace and Microsoft and Google for hiring. These are horse people. Right, and right. so I kept rewriting And they figured out your app. Yeah. And so I kept rewriting it and adding new features to really adding new features to it. And then um, I realized, wow, I think I might actually be able to make a little bit of money on this because it's a different audience, right? And so, you know, I'm full circle to today. There's there's almost 22,000 people using the app. There's 24,000 horses in the app. It's used around the world, um, 90 different countries. I've been to New Zealand, Australia, and have ridden with customers. I got an invite to a customer in Mongolia to ride in the middle of nowhere. Wow. Horses. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And so um, my approach on this app was really, I wasn't building something that was gonna be around a year or two. I built this sucker to scale, Yeah, plain and simple. So, you know, this, this could run with a million people on it if it needs to. Um, but it's, it's, it's been fun. It's so what's the underlying, fun. what's the underlying tech? You know, it's pretty straightforward. I use uh, Apache Cordova as the client side you know, because uh-huh. it's multi-platform. So it's iOS and Android and web-based because mm-hmm. that's important. And then on the back end, yes. there's SQL Server on the back end with web services. The web services are written in... Uh, essentially ASP.NET and C-sharp in the background. And that's it. Good. Tried and true. Running in Azure, I assume? No, it actually, believe it or not, it runs up in GoDaddy. Nice. Just got you some servers up there and it's amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Think about it is um, a lot of the really good equestrians keep a journal. And so mm-hmm. I digitized the journal. So the, the health history of the horse, it could be vac- vaccinations that they get, farrier visits that they get. You might go on a 25-mile trail ride. I can track the, the distance, the location, the speed, where, who went, what oh, horse, wow. all that stuff. You want to sell a horse, it's in the app. You want to get a job in the oh, equine industry, 
it's in the app. Um, you're shopping for different um, equine product, products, it's in the app. You wanna connect all your friends who care for your horse. You can actually connect them to the horse so that they can see all the information about the horse and actually journal against the horse too. So it's got a Facebook element to it, you know, but for geared, okay. geared around the horse. That is super fascinating. Uh, great when you can marry your um, your hobbies and your passion to your talent. Uh, it yeah. sounds like you've done an excellent job with 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 that. You know, some of the most powerful messages I've received is um, a lady in Idaho messaged me and says her son moved back east to go to college, misses his horse. And this is one of the ways he stays connected into that horse is basically daily and weekly at. Uh, activities. And what it does is it pulls those people who board horses at a facility, could be five miles away, could be 25 miles or 50 miles away. It keeps them connected at what's going on in that boarding barn and actually pulls them back to the boarding barn to spend more time caring and loving on that horse. And it's and it's an amazing use. It's amazing. I love it when technology wraps around, really finds a problem that exists, an opportunity. You found an opportunity. You're trying to solve a thing for yourself. And, you know, you 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 ended up in this area that you have created, utilized technology to create, to deepen the bond between between horses and their and their parents. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's a, it's a great way to put it. You know, I did it because I had horses. Yeah. And then I have a local friend. He runs a large uh, boarding facility. He bought a camel. And so camel. he messaged me and he says, uh, would you mind adding a breed in there? Just call it camel. And I said, okay. <laughs> and so um, I added that in there. And then probably about a year later, I had some signups in Dubai. And I went, oh, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> it could be a spammer or, you know, somebody looking to you yeah. know, just spamming in the app. So I watched them a little bit, and then I watched them add 150 racing camels into the app. <laughs> yeah, just spooky. And that then, is awesome. Yeah, even in the central Australia, somebody added 50 camels, you know, because in the middle of Australia, there's nothing and it's hot. And so they, they're mm. utilizing camels yeah. there. It's just fascinating. To now, you know, I got a whole barnyard of critters, cows and dogs and pigs and sheep. Yeah, you know, because I added those other breeds in the app. So, you know, it's kind of grown a little bit beyond horses, you know, but horses is the focus. But it's really fascinating to see where people take the tech. Well, what a great way to put it. It's fascinating to see where people take the tech. And quite frankly, that's why I love my job and why I love hosting this podcast. People are infinitely creative. And through the palette of technology, they're painting some incredible masterpieces. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this latest installment of the tech behind the industry. There's more coming in the future. 
And if you have any recommendations or even suggestions, just send an email over to cloudtalk at rackspace.com. Well, if you've enjoyed this series or any of the other episodes, please consider subscribing wherever you find your podcasts and maybe even giving us one of those five-star reviews. They really do help. And thanks, as always, to Dell Technologies and their support of our Solve program here at Rackspace. Well, until next week, I'm Jeff DeVerter, the host of Cloud Talk.